Welcome to the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. The rise of AI presents important legal and ethical challenges for society. In this podcast, we invite leaders from different industries and creators of new AI to debate the big questions. This is the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. Welcome to today's podcast. I am joined today by James Bruchel. He is the author of books, articles, and digital media in the history of philosophy and ethics. He has taught in Europe, Mexico, and currently at Pace University near his home in New York City. As director of Data Ethics Site, a research institute currently incubating at Pace University, he explores the human experience of big data technologies. Welcome, James. It's great to have you here today. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here, Kelly. Um, so I feel um, a large focus of our conversation today is going to be around uh, the recent paper you've produced, which involves um, investments in AI. So you suggest a new model of uh, looking at these challenges and uh, perhaps a good place to start by inviting you to share what is AI human impact? Right, so this is a, a strategy for rating AI intensive companies for investment purposes and rating them in human and, and ethical terms as opposed to traditional financial uh, terms. Uh, also, it's a, it's a structured and, and rigorous way of, of examining companies. Uh, so, so in that sense, uh, AI human impact resembles traditional investment scoring. What it adds is humanitarian and ethical information uh, to supplement the traditional financial tools. Uh, so it's um, an attempt it's an attempt to uh, add information for investors so they can get a fuller picture or view of the kind of companies that they would choose to invest in. And then just very quickly, uh, sometimes people ask me, well, what is, since this is aimed at, this is a, a system which is aimed at AI intensive companies, uh, people sometimes ask, well, well, what counts as AI intensive? Uh, by that, I don't mean companies that exclusively do artificial intelligence. Uh, but instead, I mean, any company that has artificial intelligence at the core of its uh, function or operation. So this would include well-known companies like Amazon and Tesla and so on. Uh, but I think perhaps more importantly, there are a whole slew of startups and new growing companies in fields like insurance, finance, healthcare, and elsewhere uh, that function to a significant extent through uh, artificial intelligence. So the idea is to select or weed, weed out those companies, just take that group of companies and then evaluate them in a, with a set of customized criteria, which is tailored to artificial intelligence and the kinds of human 
uh, dilemmas that arise within that particular uh, part of our existences. So maybe just, I could just give a, a very quick example. Of course, as we're talking about artificial intelligence, uh, privacy is going to be an important criteria for evaluation. So as a thumbnail sort of beginning, we could say, let's just take two companies. Uh, we could take say Apple computer and a company that's been in the news recently, TikTok, which is owned by, by ByteDance. And we could say, well, in terms of privacy, uh, Apple does fairly well. Uh, we could investigate or gain information from uh, the assessment list for trustworthy artificial intelligence uh, that's been produced by the European Commission. We could look at their cybersecurity expenditure. Uh, we could look at public records about Apple and privacy and data protection and so on. Uh, and I think probably we would come to the conclusion that, that Apple does fairly well on that front. Uh, if we did the same thing with TikTok or with ByteDance, uh, we would come to a very different conclusion. So within an AI human impact system or rating, uh, Apple would score positively in privacy and uh, TikTok would, would, would score poorly. And, and, and significantly, th that measure is entirely distinct from uh, a financial measure between the two companies. It may be that in terms of price to earning ratio or revenues or so on, that one or another company is preferable. But that kind of financial rating runs parallel with, though it is entirely distinct from the uh, kind of rating that we want to do with AI human impact. So that's, that's, that's a, a, def, a studying definition. Uh, of what we are doing. Mm. And how, how do you think you connect with the history of investment? Right. Uh, I think that, that probably one thumbnail way of, of talking about this is as a uh, sort of ESG theory for uh, artificial intelligence. I, I suspect that, that many of your listeners uh, will be familiar with environmental society and governance investing, uh, which is uh, a movement that began maybe 20 years, well, further back, but began in earnest, say about 20 years ago. Uh, and this is an investment rating system promoted by companies like MSCI, Sustainalytics, State Street, to a certain extent, True Value Labs. I mean, there, there are all kinds of companies uh, that work out what is called environment ESG investing, or sometimes it's called responsible investing, sometimes it's called sustainable investing. And what they have been doing over the last two decades is they have been trying to set up a parallel non-financial way of thinking about companies uh, in terms of their impact on, as the, as the name states, the environment, society, and, and governance. So for example, uh, if you're going to rate a company in terms of its environmental impact, you might talk about its carbon footprint or the kind of toxic waste it produces or doesn't produce. Uh, if you're gonna talk about its social impact, you might think about a company, let's say Philip Morris, a cigarette manufacturer, that company might score poorly in terms of its social impact. And then governance includes things like executive pay, international bribery, and so on. So there is this established area of investment that exists uh, to cover non-financial um, 
aspects of active companies. What we want to say is that that idea fits well to artificial intelligence. However, the criteria that are being used uh, for traditional ESG investing simply do not fit with artificial intelligence reality. Uh, just for example, th think of the environment, right? No artificial intelligence company is going to produce the kinds of toxic waste that a strip mining company would produce or produce the kind of environmental damage that a clear company, a clear cutting lumber company would, would produce. Uh, instead, the kinds of questions that, that surround um, artificial intelligence have to do with issues like privacy, right? And that's something, of course, 20 years ago, no one cared about the privacy of the consumers. No one was even interested in the personal information of uh, those people who were buying products and services. If you, if you think back, further back to uh, some of the original industrial um, corporations, what was it that they used to say about Ford Motor Company that you could have whatever color you want as long as it's black? for the, the Model T. So those kinds of companies, those kinds of mass producing companies, they, they were not interested in specific consumers. They were interested in, in segments and say middle-class consumers who lived in the suburbs or something and needed a car. But AI is completely different. AI is all about personalization, uh, the, the force and the success of artificial intelligence, whether it's in healthcare or insurance or in retail, all of those things stem from the ability to gather uh, very specific details about individual consumers and then connect with them immediately using those details. So in general, uh, the, the point that I'm trying to make is that in terms of the, the history of investing, uh, there is over the course of the last 20 years, this development of non-financial say more social or individual or ethical, ethically oriented investing, uh, which has had some success in the marketplace. And what we are trying to add now is this idea that there are these new, this new set of companies, uh, which could also participate in that way of thinking about investments. But in order to do so, we need completely new criteria to evaluate those companies. So I think that's how AI human impact connects with the history of investing. Uh, it takes that old ESG foundation and changes the criteria for investing. Yeah. And I feel um, what you're saying about the history of privacy there, for example, with consumers, I feel that recent events has, have really brought that to light, right? People right. didn't used to think about that before. And now we've been forced to think about that, you know, um, scenarios like Cambridge Analytica really forced us to consider what the impact of these companies are having on the population. Right. Or, or another example is that the question, I think it seems to me that this is one that will become very uh, forceful in the next five or 10 years uh, in, in healthcare. Uh, as we become increasingly capable of discerning what kinds of infirmities you and I will suffer from in the near future from data which can be gleaned from us like electrocardiograms and so on, uh, it's gonna become very difficult 
uh, for traditional kinds of insurance companies to continue functioning um, because they are going to know it's going to be very difficult for insurance companies to continue functioning in the traditional way because they are going to know quite a bit more about those who are applying to be to be covered so the kinds of concerns that you and i have as individuals who perhaps want to buy health insurance we never had to worry about protecting our electrocardiogram information or our blood pressure information or so on uh, but now if we want to buy life insurance in five or ten years we better be pretty careful about what data we allow who to see. Um, so that's a very, right, right? I mean, is that something that, I find that that example works pretty well because uh, that's something that affects us on a very human level, right? This, this is biology, this is our health, this is our lives. Cambridge Analytica, which is also an excellent example, but it's somewhat abstract in the sense that it happened to other people and it occurs in some other place and so on. Uh, but, but health is very hard hitting. I think that many of the issues we want to talk about in AI human impact and in AI ethics, uh, one of the first places where they're going to have resonance is in with respect to our, our physical biological bodies. Yeah. And also we already had examples of that going wrong, right? So we had, we had recent examples of companies using you know, DNA, testing DNA, and then, you know, that data has been breached, right? So, right. And, and, and then concern. Yeah. And, and then there's a whole, I had, curiously, I just had this debate uh, recently with uh, someone who was selling artificial intelligence insurance. And what they're selling is, is highly dynamic insurance. That is, it's insurance that tracks you on your iPhone and is able to determine things like gathering from various sources is able to determine things like you are taking a ski trip and you are about to go down the double black diamond run which is very 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 uh dangerous right for some people right? broken legs happen all the time on these runs yeah. and what they were trying to do is they're saying look what we can do as an insurance company is at that moment that you're at the top of the hill, we can send you a notification on your phone saying, if you take this run, your life insurance premium goes up a little bit. But if you say, forget it, I'm going to go on the green run, the easy run, then your life insurance premium goes down. And what he was saying is, and he had a very strong point. He said, look, this is good. He said, this gives people more control over um, the insurance premiums they pay and over their finances. And, and he was right. And he was right about that. But on the other hand, it's also true. What I said to him in response is it's also true uh, that the reason we get insurance in the first place is because we want to live our lives vigorously. The reason I get health insurance is just so that I can do the double black diamond run, because I know that if I break my leg, I'll have insurance to pay for it, right? So if we have this notification system, which allows me to raise and lower my premium, it also means that I'm going to think twice before the double black diamond, and maybe I won't go. So maybe this uh, artificial intelligence advance, which on the one hand gives us more autonomy and freedom over our finances, it also limits the vigorousness and the vitality of our lives. 
Uh, so, so that's the kind of, I think that's the, that's the kind of situation which will be the, the most interesting ones where it's not so much that there's a clear right or wrong or good or bad, yeah. but there's a change in the dynamic um, that we will need to make, to make sense of. Yeah, it's not a straightforward uh, debate, right? Right, right. So what are the criteria or principles of AI human impact investing? And what are the ratings that are based on? Right. So, so this is the, the, the key idea. Uh, and what, as opposed to the ratings of the ESG investors um, that use the environment, society, and governance, and then they use this further criteria. Many of them use uh, criteria from the United Nations 17 Sustainability Goals. So that's on one side. What we use, um, well, let me say first, uh, we were talking bef before the interview about how quickly uh, this field of AI ethics has been shifting and growing. And there have been over the last five years or so, loosely, about 80 sets of principles, ethical principles that have been published by governments, by institutes, by private institutions, and so on. So we have a lot of information or a, a lot of um, options when it comes to thinking about the values or the principles that we should apply to artificial intelligence. Uh, and the group that we decided to use is very similar to the recent production by the European Council, the uh, guidelines for trustworthy artificial intelligence and it's also very similar to the recently produced um, German Commission on Data Ethics. That's, they produced a, a white paper, which get, they called an opinion. Uh, so the, the kind of criteria that we are using are, are right in the mainstream. And we divide those criteria up into three parts. There are personal values or ethical rules. There are social values and ethical rules. And then there are technical values and ethical rules. And for us, the, 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 the personal rules or ethical values are autonomy, dignity, and privacy. And then the social rules or values or ethical guidelines are fairness, solidarity, and sustainability. And then the technical rules are um, performance, that is how well the machine works, safety, and accountability, which also includes explainability. That is, accountability is the idea uh, when something goes wrong or right for a artificial intelligence. There was just, I saw just today, I believe it was a Tesla, another Tesla accident, though I don't want to say that there are a lot of them. Actually, there are not. The Tesla autopilot function does seem to work quite well. But I believe it was just today that there was a, another one of these where the person was watching a movie on his iPhone coming home from the late shift at the hospital and his Tesla swides, slide, side swiped a, uh, a police car. So something went wrong there. Uh, and in order to determine what went wrong or in order to do, attribute accountability, uh, we need to have something called, well, as you're familiar with, explainability. That is, we need to have some ability to trace how the 
autopilot in the Tesla mm -hmm. car, right, made the decision it did to go left instead of right and so on. So those are the, the, the nine principles that we use to grade companies. We say, look, let's take a company like Apple or like Tesla or a health company or an insurance company like Prudential. I mean, the, the, your Prudential, by the way, there's two Prudential insurance companies. And the Prudential in Asia is quite uh, invested in, in artificial intelligence. So you take companies like that and then you evaluate them in terms of what they do for the autonomy of their users, what they do for the dignity of their users, what do they do for privacy, what do they do for the fairness of society, what do they do for solidarity in society, how do they rate in terms of sustainability? Uh, and then the technicals, I say, how do they perform? How safe are they? And do they have good accountability? So what we do is we try to rate companies in terms of each of those nine criteria. And there you have some sort of um, model where people can look at and can quickly be able to perceive what companies are doing well and what companies you should probably avoid. Exactly. This this is the this is the goal. And then I, I just want to add one quick point here about that last that last um, comment you made about the companies to invest in in, in those to avoid. Um, I, I do want to say this about what we're trying to do. Uh, we are not trying to paint companies in terms of good or bad or right or wrong so much. Uh, what we are trying to do is provide information for individuals, sort of as you pointed out in that, that first part of the question, provide comprehensible and clear information about individuals uh, and investors as to how these companies perform in each one of these uh, sectors. And, and what we want to say is that then investors uh, the value we're trying to add, what we're trying to say, the reason investors should pay attention to what we're saying is because we can give you as an investor options. We can give you a better understanding of the companies that you want to invest in. And that better understanding lets you work or invest out in the world, just like the companies do. You as an investor can pursue profits by taking the information you have and choose to invest in one or, or another company. So it's not so much that, that our effort is to sway investors toward one or another company or to create new regulations or to create new laws. It's much more a libertarian project in this sense. What we are trying to do is give investors clear information so that they can make their own decisions in the in the marketplace and then so that leads now so that after that one preface now i can get back to the 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 question the question you asked so what we try to do is we produce comprehensible scores that allow um, people to look at a company and understand how they perform in each one of those nine categories and overall frequently it's going to happen that company that there that there are trade-offs for example one of our technical categories is performance, and one of our personal categories is, is privacy. And, and in healthcare, for example, it's really difficult to get both. Um, if you're going to, or let's, let's use a different example, let's, let's use retail. Uh, let's just take a simple thing like the 
it's 7.30 here in New York City where I'm at. Uh, so perhaps tonight I will watch a Netflix movie and I will ask Netflix to suggest something to me. Uh, the suggestions that Netflix gives me depend quite a bit upon my revealing my personal interests to them. So if privacy is defined as control over access to your personal information, the problem you have with Netflix is once I tell them, well, I like this kind of movie and not that kind of movie, and I have this age and I have this family situation and so on. The, the problem I have is once I turn that information over, well, now I've lost control over it. So, so I've lost privacy. So for Netflix to perform well, they are going to have to be fairly demanding in terms of privacy. So frequently, as I say, we're going, we're going to get trade-offs. And as a result, we try to do two things with our reports. First, we give clear scores for each company in terms of each of these nine categories. So a consumer or an investor might say, look, privacy is very important to me. Um, it's more important than performance. I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of performance in order for individuals out in the world to maintain control of their personal information. Well, they'd be able to look at a company, let's say Apple, and see how Apple performs in terms, how Apple is rated in terms of privacy and in terms of performance and see if that fits um, their own values and their own way of thinking about the world. So um, examples of, of this, uh, there, there are simple examples like autonomy is one of our categories. Uh, and it's easy to see how, let's say, let's take an example from uh, Facebook, Facebook is well known to use dopamine spurts, right? This uh, rewards for likes and so on uh, to try to increase engagement, right? So they're looking at the kinds of postings you do. And if you haven't posted for a while, then when you post right away, they will find some way to give you some likes. Uh, so that encourages you to, you to post more and so on. So, so something like that is going to result in a, in a low autonomy score, right? Because it's not that the user is determining for him or herself when and why he or she wants to post. Instead, Facebook is manipulating that for their own benefit. Um, so that would be something that, so that's an easy one. Companies that do that, that use what uh, a computer scientist named Arvind Narayanan is called a dark pattern. Companies that use these kinds of distribute likes and so on in order to manipulate users, they will score very uh, poorly in terms of autonomy. As I said, that's easy. Um, but, but then there are others which are more curious. For example, another of our categories is, is dignity. And a case that we were discussing just the other day was a, a dating website named OkCupid. And one thing OkCupid did is they ran an experiment where they told people who their own data implied were not good matches. And they told them, they told these two people, or these groups of people, well, you are a good match. And then they monitor or followed their online uh, activity. So usually, of course, you know, in the dating sites, right, you exchange little messages and then the, the company, whether it's Tinder or OkCupid or so on, they have some sense about how the relationship goes depending upon how many messages you interchange and kind of what those messages sound like and if you have dates and come back and have more messages and so on. Uh, so OkCupid ran this experiment. Uh, 
uh, where they put together people who they thought were good matches and people who they said they thought were not good matches, but they told them they were good matches to see if the, uh, the results would be different, to see if people could, um, what would the phrase be, the, the, the power of positive suggestion, right? To see if people could be convinced that they should like this other partner. Then they got the results and it turned out that, that no, people really don't respond. People really do either like or not like other people and the power of positive suggestion doesn't work so well, a little bit, but not so well for, for dating. Uh, so we have this question, okay, so they did that. Um, and then there's this category that we have for evaluating a company like OkCupid, which is dignity. And dignity is defined as, um, dignity means treating other people as ends in themselves and not as means to an end or not as tools for someone else's projects or ends. And when you look at this, this looks like a clear violation of dignity. I mean, it looks like the people who are running OkCupid were just manipulating their own users for their own vaguely perverted interests, right? To kind of see what would happen and so on. So it seems very abusive in terms of dignity. Uh, but then they produced a, a blog post. And what they said subsequently was, look, this information that we gleaned actually helped us, uh, helped us find true romances for our users. So it's sort of an interesting case. Right, the, on the one hand, it's very manipulative and abusive in terms of dignity. But if it's true that it does help their users find romance, they, they use that information for that reason, well then what kind of dignity score do we give them? Uh, and so we were talking about that and, and one point that came up is, is we did notice that OkCupid, after they ran the experiment, they told people that yes, we did this and you were one of the people we experimented on. So something like that, you know, maybe you think in that case, their dignity score is, is say, neutral, uh, as opposed to what we initially thought it was going to be, which is terrible because they were doing these things. So, so something like that. So I've given a couple of examples, right? The dopamine example with autonomy, uh, the dignity example with OkCupid. Um, I could give other examples, but, but something like that is the way the analysis works. And then as I say, for each company, then we can attach a score for each one of these categories, as well as, as well as a total score, because ideally, I mean, it would be possible. I said before that, that we're not so much looking for to separate good and bad because that's impossible in the sense that frequently there are trade-offs, but ideally at least we could imagine the possibility that there would be an AI company that would score well on everything. Um, so, in light of that, we also provide a total score. Um, but the main value we're adding is we are allowing investors to make their own decisions about what values are important to them by presenting comprehensible ratings of these companies in terms of artificial, customized criteria for artificial intelligence. Great. Yeah, I feel, I feel that such a model, what would, you know, it would essentially empower not only consumers, but investors as well to understand a lot of these principles and values, which, you know, we still have a lot of awareness to build in the industry, right? So there's still a big gap in terms of understanding. Um, and I was mentioning to you before this conversation that I had this week with um, 
founder of um, Effectiva and where she was sharing the, the challenges of raising funds and staying true to the technology. Um, and one of the key points that came out of that conversation was the, uh, the need for uh, consumers to really understand this, um, ask the right questions so that they can start making a decision, right? Because that's how uh, trust would be built. Um, right. you know, essentially, if people expect um, something that companies will be, you know, encouraged to pursue that, right? Just like you used the example of Apple before, and I feel Apple is, um, because they took a different path, um, is slightly different from the other big tech companies. What they have now is um, a lot of people tend to trust them more. And I feel we're still sort of going towards that way where, you know, these companies are now being rewarded for building that trust. And in a few years, perhaps that difference will be stronger, right? Where you, on the other hand, you've got companies that breach that trust and it's very difficult for them to build that again, right? Such as Facebook. Right. And then, of course, a key element of trust is, is deciding what we are going to trust them to do, right? Are we going to trust them uh, to be a high-performing company or to be a very safe company or to do well with privacy, user privacy, and so on? Uh, so I think also there's that um, this aspect of, of trust only occurs when we can specify the specific ways in which we look to, to companies to um, do well or, poorly, or or poorly. And then I think also, right, it, it was easy five years ago when there were only a few major artificial intelligence companies in our lives to develop ideas about which ones we wanted to be associated with as consumers and as investors. But it's going to become extremely difficult as this flood of intelligent, artificial intelligence applications takes over every aspect of our lives, from the transportation we use, to the healthcare we have, to the movies we watch, and to the people, that we, the jobs we have, LinkedIn, our romantic partners, and so on. And all of these across this entire range of our experience I think that for that reason, there is an opening for the kind of project that we are uh, undertaking here, uh, which is, again, a way of making comprehensible the ethical aspects of these companies for consumers to make their own decisions about where they want to, well, investors primarily, but also consumers of these products to make their own decisions about where they want to put their investment money or their, or, their, or their consumer money. Yeah, you were saying, like you were saying before, we do have a lot of principles available and, and values, right? Yeah. We're not sure of them, they're available around the world. They might be slightly different depending on the framework. Uh, we still have a large gap reaching these values to practice. Right, and, and it's a lot of work, right? Uh, so I'm just going back to, to that OkCupid okay example. Uh, in order to grade a company in terms of dignity, it's easy to say what dignity is, but to actually assign a numerical objective value, because, because that's very crucial for us. We want a rigorous, objective system. This is not sort of vague discussion. These, these are analytically solid ratings that will fit well with financial ratings. Uh, and in order to produce those on, on the human level, because that's what this is about, right? The human experience of these things, uh, that takes a lot of work. 
that takes a lot of thinking through things like, as I say, this question for OKCupid, well, are they really abusing the dignity of their, of their users if they are helping their users find romance? It's, it's not clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you touched you touch a little bit on this question before, but what, what, um, who might be interested in investing and accessing these ratings? Well, I think primarily our goal is people who are professional investors initially, um, because I think that one, um, one important aspect of finance and other, of, well, of finance generally is that that's one place where uh, there is enough money simply flowing uh, to pay for this kind of project because we believe that this project will, it will add, it adds value to investors because it gives them options, helps them understand their own investments. Uh, but we also believe that it's likely that over the medium and long term, companies that score well in terms of AI ethics will produce better results. So I think that we can, we can make promises to financial companies uh, that are rewarding both on the ethical and human level, but also, also on the financial level. And this is always a challenge for, for ethics. That is, typically when people look at ethics in AI or in almost any field, they feel like ethics will detract from value or it will stop us from doing things or it will restrain or block innovation. Um, we don't want to be any of those things. We want to promote innovation uh, we want to promote financial gain. And we believe that these principles well understood and presented to investors and, and to consumers will do those things. That the companies that adopt, that work in line with these principles uh, will in fact advance more rapidly, gain more investment and ultimately more profit in the medium and, and long term. So, so it is at least initially, it is the idea that it would be the professional investment area that would be our aim. But we hope, of course, that that consumers and people who are listening to this program who are perhaps not investors would, would be interested in, in what we're doing. Yeah. So it's really making the connection of, you know, helping people to see ethics as actually, you know, becoming financially rewarding, right? Right. And, mm -hmm. And encouraging, I think investors have a large role to play in encouraging ethics and AI. And I feel the model is opening that path. That's what we aim to do, yes. Mm. And when we have, you have here in your paper some predictions that, you know, AI, AI will be reaching, um, you know, there's a calculation in the industry that will be reaching about 20% of electricity, the world's electricity by 2030, right? Right. So that gives an idea. Obviously, it, there's nothing more hopeless than to try to predict the future. But if anything remotely like that is true, then so many of our human questions and ethical questions will be channeling through artificial intelligence that we will need to have um, just to be happy as individuals out in the world, to, to understand our existence and what is happening around us, we will all of us need to be conversant 
in uh, at least rudimentary artificial intelligence ethics. So I think that would be another way to think about a contribution that, that we at least hope to make, right? This is not something which is going to be limited. This is something that, which is going to overflow our existences over the course of the next generation. Yeah, in a way it's, a, it's some sort of foundation for how this uh, progress should be made. Mm -hmm. And how people can live and think in that kind of world. Yeah, and I especially like, you know, you made a note there about how this encourages innovation. And I think it's a great way of looking at this because on the other hand, we have, you know, perhaps possibly upcoming regulations, which if poorly designed, will likely delay innovation. And, right. and so, and we have that challenge of, you know, how would we even design a regulation that could globally, you know, be aligned with these principles and values in the right place. I think it's much more challenging getting that right than getting a model like the one you're suggesting here. Mm -hmm. Right, which is another way into the project, I think, which is what we are, tr another way of talking about what we're trying to do is we are trying to help developers, engineers, technical experts, we are trying to, to help them understand their work on, on the human level uh, in terms of privacy, in terms of dignity, in terms of the way you and I live. And I think to the extent that they understand that and see the kinds of ethical issues that arise from their work, to the extent that they themselves are aware of that, right, they will be able to avoid pitfalls. And it's in that way that the, the advances will be encouraged, not restrained, by this kind of AI human impact project, right? Be, to the extent that we can help designers and engineers understand the, the human impact of what they are doing, uh, they will steer their innovation more uh, effectively and therefore they will be able to innovate more faster. So, so we do believe in that, more innovation, faster innovation, but only because the designers understand the humanity of what is happening around them. So that's another way to talk about what we're doing. We're trying to provide insights into the humanity of any specific artificial intelligence and how it works. Very good. Well, thank you so much, James, for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, happy to it's be very here. late, very late in New York, I know. So <laughs> very, thanks for being awake for that. And very early for you. Thanks for being awake also. <laughs> Um, for people trying to reach out to you about this, um, this research, uh, what's the best way? Oh, I suppose my webpage, jamesbrussealtogether.net would be a good start. Okay. And uh, as part of releasing this uh, conversation, we'll also have the paper available for people wanting to um, dive into this. Thank you Terrific. very much. I really enjoyed the conversation, Kelly. Thank you.